307 on a Friday afternoon. News Talk 1130 WISN. This is the Friday Afternoon Show. Jerry Bott piloting the plane here for the next three hours. Thank you for listening, and uh, thank you for starting your Mother's Day weekend with me. Uh, it should be, Paul, it should be a pretty good show today, unless I screw it up, which is entirely possible. Um, we'll talk about the whole Supreme Court leak thing. I, I haven't been on in a week, so I've got some thoughts on it. And there's one aspect that's been lost in this whole thing that I find not only impactful, but sort of depressing almost. And I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, I want to also discuss the housing market, which I happen to be in right now. I don't want to talk about the stock market, which has lost darn near 1,200 points combined in the last two days. Today, the Dow, I think, was kind of searching for the floor, at least in the short run, because it was off like 350 points. It, it, it rallied in the last hour and a half or so. It finished down uh, 98 points and change. Am I repeating what uh, the call guy just said there? Um, so a good day on the on the market is when the Dow only loses three tenths of one percent. Oh, that's a great day, and fabulous because you know, the day before, darn near lost four uh, percent. Uh, Paul tells me that Jeff Cole's advice always is don't look at your four hundred one k. I can't find mine anymore. It's, I tried looking for it. It's just Biden Biden inflation and the, the economic forces that be of have. Um, have uh, Certainly made it worth less than it was before. So I want to talk about the housing market. Um, there's a movie that Dinesh D'Souza is going to premiere tomorrow night called 2000 Mules. It's already been screened. They screened it down at Mar-a-Lago. Trump had uh, a, a bunch of people down there, including Kyle Rittenhouse, of all people, to watch the screening of this movie. Um, and uh, it's it's interesting. I think the amount of effort D'Souza and his team went through with regard to the geo-tracking on cell phones. And apparently, I, I can't testify that they watched all of it, but four million minutes of surveillance video with drop boxes in five different states. Uh, I don't know if they went through all four million minutes, but they went through enough of it to find out that there were some people who were dropping off multiple ballots at multiple uh, ballot drop box locations. So we'll talk about that. I might touch upon the sort of the state of the race for the Republican nomination for governor here in Wisconsin. All three of the major candidates are up in spending, and it's interesting to see how that um, how that may turn out. So, <laughs> so I. Um, I always wake up like about 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, and I go about my business today, and I, I get back to my phone a couple hours later. Oh, there's there's vaccine news. And I'm thinking, oh, this is like the FDA claiming that, you know, vaccines are now safe for, for six-month-olds or whatever whatever the, the latest rage in, in COVID vaccination might be. Nope. The FDA putting significant restrictions on the use of Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Did you see this, Paul? Would you like to guess which vaccine, which COVID vaccine yours truly uh, took? Yours the Johnson & Johnson. I thought one and done was probably the better way to go. Plus, I got a booster. And now they're saying that there's, although it's still the instances are rare, that the blood clotting problem, you know, causing level of thrombosis, is significant enough where there are, what were the restrictions? You can't be younger than 18. You can't be younger than 18. You could you should only use it if you ha- are under one or two circumstances. If you are allergic somehow to the mRNA vaccines, the the Moderna and the the Pfizer ones, or if 
you would refuse to take any vaccination because you don't trust the mRNA ones, which is kind of where I was coming from. The, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is more, it's called a, a vaccine, uh, a viral vector vaccine. And I wish I could explain to you in detail what a viral vector vaccine precisely is, but I'm, my knowledge of... Uh, of vaccines is not sufficient enough where I can give you a comprehensive point of view. But it's a more, for lack of a better description, a more traditional type of vaccine. And I thought, yeah, what the heck, you know? So anyway, if, if, if I took my last dose of that nearly four months ago. So if I, if I clot up, if I keel over, Paul, get 911 ready and, you know, I, I'll be just spitting blood and, you know, like, I'll be all stiff and that sort of thing. No blood to my brain. Some would claim there's been no blood going to my brain for quite some time anyway. But uh. Paul is asking whether or not, um, did I not think this day would come with regard to, um, you know, stories. How can I put this more precisely? Validated stories of vaccine injury. Did I think that day would come? Yes. I do. As a matter of fact, it's been going on for a while. Ron Johnson had a whole, you know, hearing about, you know, with people who have claimed vaccine injury. And and I think those stories are legitimate. And it's just a matter of people assessing their personal risk. And that's the way it should be. You know, I'm a fat man with high blood pressure. All that the vaccines are, and I'm not going to go too deep in this, all the vaccines are, are pre-viral exposure therapeutics. In other words, all they're good for, we now know this, all they're good for is reducing the severity of the disease. They do not prevent you from getting and harboring the virus, and it does not prevent you from transmitting the virus. Nor does it uh, prevent you from developing symptoms of COVID. COVID's the disease. SARS-CoV-2 is the virus. There's a difference between those two things. So none of those things... Well, okay, like my, my iPhone's in my pocket starts ringing. It says spam risk on, on, on the little thing. Well, of course I'm not going to take it. But well, nobody would take it. Of course not. But, I mean, if, think about how degrading it is. If you're working in some business and you're doing cold calling, and it's coming up as spam risk on, on everybody's phone. I mean, talk about being in a loser kind of situation. That's, anyway, I'll get it out of my pocket because it was distracting me. Um, so... Yes, I thought that the day would come, and I think the day will come when we hear more and more about vaccine injury uh, with the mRNA vaccines as well. I think you're going to get some more detail on that as time goes on, because perhaps, you know, those injuries aren't fully realized yet. We don't know precisely what those injuries might be. Okay, we're going to get into the Supreme Court story here in a second. Let me give you the Spring Green Cash Contest word um, for the 3 o'clock hour. You have until... Uh, 355 to go to our website and enter the keyword, which is spring. Hmm. Spring Green Cash Contest, the keyword is spring. S-P-R-I-N-G, spring. You have until 55 minutes past the hour to go to Newstock1130.com and enter the word spring. S-P-R-I-N-G. The weather this weekend is going to feel a little bit more like spring than uh, it has over the uh, the past, uh, what, 10 days or so? It's been kind of lousy. Uh, spring, again, is the word S-P-R-I-N-G. Go to Newstock1130. Dot com. When you go there, you open up the homepage. This big box opens up. Do you want to play the contest? Yeah. And you type in the word, uh, and then off you go. You have until 3.55 to get that accomplished. All right? To throw that away to avoid any sort of... Conf- it tell- when I throw it away, it tells me I've already given the word. So that's all done. All right.
by the way, and I know that the way that Mark does the show in this time slot, Monday through Thursday, he tends not to take calls. In a couple of instances today, I think caller feedback is necessary. One of them will be related to this Supreme Court story. The other one, we're talking about the, the, the housing market, both locally and nationally. And some perspective from you in the audience would be helpful and, uh, I think, interesting. So if you are somebody who, from time to time, likes to make a contribution to shows like this, um, there will be opportunities to do that today. All right. In my 40 years of, of working in, in spoken word radio, and it's been 40 years, my, my God, it's, 40, it's actually longer than that. I started working as an intern in 1980, you know, for, pushing 42 years, August of 1980. But 40-plus you know, years working, you know, spoken word radio and, and working in a, in a news-driven, you know, event-driven environment, you know, that, that type of media, I, I must say that I cannot remember one singular event having parallel storylines as impactful as the two storylines contained within the the leaked draft opinion um, of the Supreme Court in the the Mississippi 15-week abortion uh, ban case. Samuel Alito wrote this opinion, draft opinion, written way back in February, early February, so nearly three months ago. And it was leaked to Politico. And Politico, by the way, they had a they had a choice. You know, if Politico thinks that, you know, publishing draft opinions from the Supreme Court ahead of the decisions in a very volatile, emotional type of case is, is good journalistic ethics, well, then they did the right thing. They could have easily refused to publish this. You know, they probably figured, well, somebody else will. If, if the leaker is leaking it to us and we're not going to publish it, the leaker will leak it to somebody else who will. I'm, I'm guessing that's the, the equation they went through. So the two storylines in the, in the situation are, of course, these. The first one, as indicated in the draft opinion, it looks like the Supreme Court is ready to overturn Roe v. Wade. And if they did so, in my opinion, it would end the moral and legal charade that there is somehow a constitutional right for a woman to kill an unborn child and end a human life at her sole discretion, and and to do so with impunity. I think that has been, I mean, not only a legal farce, but an absolutely immoral societal position that's lasted nearly five decades. A decision to overturn Roe would rectify not only a gross legal error, a huge injustice, but morally, it's, it doesn't end the immorality of abortion, but morally, it would be a step in the right direction. So that's one storyline. The other storyline, also enormous. The fact that someone involved at the highest level of the judicial review process at the highest court and most powerful country on the planet, took it upon himself or herself to violate the foundation upon which the Supreme Court operates. And that foundation is this. Deliberations are kept private and kept secret to minimize any potential effect of political or public pressure on any final decision or dispensation of a case. 
Paul's asking who is who is who had access to this document, the draft. I don't know about secretarial staff, but 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 if you if you look at at who's the operatives of the Supreme Court, there are nine justices, and each justice has four clerks. Uh, so there's 45 people, nine justices, and 36 clerks. Um, I think that I mean to be a Supreme Court clerk. If you I mean if you are somebody graduated from law school and you land a clerkship for a Supreme Court justice, that is like the biggest cherry on the Sunday you can get. I don't know exactly what the number is. I am guessing that at least half, maybe more, of the individuals who are clerks for a Supreme Court justice, they themselves get appointed to the federal bench at some point during their career. It's sort of the foundation in which these clerks become, you know, federal district judges or court of appeals appointees. Do they take an oath? Absolutely they take an oath. They take an oath of confidentiality, for sure. Yes. And, it, I mean, this is unprecedented. It's just, it hasn't happened that somebody has leaked a draft um, opinion. And the reason it takes so long, you hear, the, the, the justices hear oral arguments. They take a vote. Then somebody in the majority is appointed to write the opinion which is what Alito did in this case. And then th- that opinion, that draft opinion, is circulated uh, among other members of the court. Some are people. Some of the justices are going to be dissenters and, and write dissensions. Um, some are going to be allied with the majority opinion and might write concurring opinions or suggest different language in the main opinion, and, and on and on it goes. So... To answer your question, Paul, those 45 individuals would have access to a working draft of an opinion. I do not know if there's other Supreme Court staff, whether that be stenographers or secretarial staff or somebody else who might have access to it. Well, you know, it's funny you should say that. Paul's like, you know, some custodian sees it in a garbage can. Do you know what they do with draft opinions after they've been circulated, redone? Not just shred, double shred. They shred them horizontally and then vertically. I mean, literally making it into confetti. So it, it, it's you know, and, and and then it's placed in a burn bag. They actually they literally burn it. Obviously, leaks would potentially could potentially put pressure on a justice or other justices to rule one way or another. And that would undermine the, the legitimacy of the Supreme Court. So we've got these two storylines. You've got the first one is, you know, will the immorality and legal charade of Roe finally be, you know, expunged from the from the constitutional law books? That's one. And the second one is, is the legitimacy of the court going to be preserved after someone violated such a sacred tenet of the court as to not release opinions before the final opinion is ready to be released. Which which one of those stories is more impactful? Because they're both huge. And I pose that question because I think there's a right answer to that question. That one of the stories is more impactful than the other. 
And let me walk you through a little bit of logic on it. Let's talk about the first storyline, the prospect of Roe v. Wade being overturned. Let's look at the morality of it. As I indicated before, it's not a complete step in the right direction, but it is a step in the right direction. Overturning Roe would correct an absolute aberration in constitutional law. There's no two ways about it. Back in 1973, when Justice Harry Blackman and six other colleagues dreamed up this fandom constitutional right to privacy, how weak is the opinion in Roe? The majority could not specifically cite what part of the Constitution was the underpinning of this phantom right to privacy? Uh, maybe it was the 14th Amendment. Maybe it was the 9th Amendment. Maybe it was none of the above. They literally wandered around and could not firmly, with any level of precision, offer that determination. Even extremely liberal constitutional scholars have expressed criticism of Roe, citing any number of elements of faulty legal logic. In fact, female hero of the court Ruth Bader Ginsburg was on the record saying that she thought the the privacy justification in Roe was flawed and should not have been the basis by which abortion regulation was based. She thought that the idea of a federal governance of what abortion laws at the state level were legal and what which were unconstitutional, she believed in that. She just thought that the privacy rationale was wrong. Lawrence Tribe, the the the, the Uber lefty Harvard law professor has also criticized foundational legal assumptions incorporated into Roe v. Wade. So this isn't a bunch of just you know right wing Antonin Scalia type constitutional scholars criticizing Roe. Roe has been criticized from every corner of the constitutional legal community, and politically, the radical pro-abortion left will completely mischaracterize. And we've seen it now for the past four days. They are completely mischaracterizing what the Supreme Court overturning Roe would actually do. I have a little soundbite from Liz Warren. Paul, are you ready with this? The soundbite from Liz Warren, where she, I think, intentionally forwards thoughts and an opinion that are inherently dishonest. This is what the Republicans have been working toward this day for decades. They have been out there plotting, carefully cultivating these Supreme Court justices so they could have a majority on the bench who would accomplish something that the majority of Americans do not want. 69% of people across this country 
across this country, red states and blue states, old people and young people want Roe versus Wade to maintain as the law of the land. The we need to we, do we that. And we have a right. As Paul pointed out during the cut, she sounds like she's melting down there. But, I mean, what, what her implication is, is that somehow overturning Roe v. Wade outlaws abortion in every corner of this country, and it doesn't. And she knows it doesn't. That is just shallow, dishonest political hackery. And by the way, it's not the Supreme Court's or any federal court's role to decide cases based on what some poll says the American people want. They're supposed to analyze, interpret, and determine the validity of law. Liz Warren is a lawyer. In fact, she's you know done a professorship at Harvard. Now, she may not be the brightest bulb, but does she know that that the Supreme Court is there to decide the validity of law as opposed to, you know, being at the beck and call of some sort of popularity poll? Of course she knows that. So, in other words, that was just, what we just heard out of her mouth was intentionally misleading crap. But it's an interesting point to acknowledge when you're trying to determine, you know, which, which of these two storylines is more impactful. Overturning Roe merely returns the regulation of abortion back to the 50 individual states. That's the reality of it. And that reality, frankly, is why I am not all that ecstatic about the Supreme Court apparently on the the cusp of overturning Roe v. Wade. I'm not ecstatic about it because the gruesome, immoral slaughter will continue. It's only the geography that's going to change. Well, I mean, so, you know, you'll have abortive vacations being, you know, offered up in California. Hey, come on out, you know, enjoy the beaches, have your abortion, go to Disneyland. You know, a lot of blue states will have, and, and, I mean, I think a lot of blue states are going to enact extremely liberal abortion laws in the in the wake of Roe v. Wade being overturned. Places like New York, California, along the East Coast, you think that in, in Liz Warren's home state of Massachusetts, you're not going to be able to get an abortion? Liz, if she were you know 30 years younger, could have 50 abortions in Massachusetts because they're not going to outlaw it there. It's the fact of the matter. Are you going to be able to get one in Mississippi or Texas or Florida? No. Illinois? Yep. What about Wisconsin? Well, Wisconsin's got an old law from the 1840s. You know, I ask yourself this. Why do so many of these individual states, why was abortion illegal in so many of them? And the answer is because it was accepted that abortion was immoral and indecent. That's why those laws are on the books. And in some cases, those laws would go back into place. They would have the full force of law. They, they, they revert to them. Well, as Paul said, smart, smart lawmakers at the time, I think in, in 18, well, whenever this law was passed in Wisconsin, I, the, the, the number 1847 sticks in my head. I could be wrong about that by a year. 
I think in 1847, it wasn't controversial. No, you don't kill babies. I mean, that's just not a controversial thing. Well, no, I mean, society was different. You know, it, all the, the, the march of feminism, it, 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 it's not all bad. It's, it has some upside. You know, I, I think that, that women who choose to pursue careers and that sort of thing, God bless you. But it wasn't that way in 1847. It just wasn't. You know, w- women, women generally were there to run households, to nurture children, to be the moral and, and sort of practical glue of the nuclear family. So a law written in 1847 or 1857 or 1897 or 1917 that would outlaw abortion as being a gruesome, immoral practice was not running afoul of any sort of societal sensibility. I, I digress. So I think that blue states, some blue states will have some extremely liberal abortion laws. I think that some blue states will become abortion destinations. You know, that you'll see the abortion clinic in a blue state being built on the border of a state that bans abortion if, if this all comes to pass. But my point is this. The reason that I think that of the two storylines... The actual overturning of of the the legal precedent set within Roe is the le- the least of the two is the least impactful of the two is because as I said it doesn't stop the carnage it doesn't stop the murder it doesn't stop the killing it just changes where it might happen so that would leave us with. The other part of the story, the fact that the opinion was leaked as being more impactful, and I think it is, and I think you're going to find it interesting why I believe that it is, and in the next segment, some listener feedback would be more than welcome because I've got a theory on why the second part of this is more impactful, and I wonder if it's a theory that you would embrace and you would endorse. We're going to find out. 340 News Talk 1130 WISN Friday afternoon show. Jerry Vaught hosting this week. Thank you for listening. Do appreciate it. Mother's Day coming up uh, on Sunday. So uh, my very best to all of you ladies who have uh, taken on the burden and the responsibility, the loving responsibility of being a mother. Ironically, we're talking about a process where some women choose not to become mothers. We'll uh, get more into that uh, momentarily. Um, Fox 6 weather experts, the forecast it looks like this. Clearing skies tonight with lows in the, right around the 40-degree mark, maybe a couple of degrees warmer than that. Tomorrow, sunny, beautiful, highs 60 lakeside, 65 inland. Sunday, increasing clouds, highs, again, 60 lakeside, 65 inland. And then looking into next week, Monday, uh, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Going to get up into the 80s, Tuesday and Wednesday of next week with maybe uh, a little bit of rain coming next Tuesday. Uh, Five degrees? 57 degrees right now at News Talk 1130 WISN. Apparently Paul's computer froze up there and got the five but not the seven. 57 uh, here in Greenfield. Um, Oh, um, uh, Kentucky Derby is tomorrow. Race is at like 5.55 uh, in the afternoon Milwaukee time. 
Uh, if you want to see the picks that Mr. Belling has made, go to belling.com. There's an enormous, I mean, this might be the biggest derby icon I've ever seen on his website. It takes up like half the homepage. Just click, click on the, it looks good. I mean, no, it's really good. No, it's, I mean, it, it, the, um, the, the company, well, I'll, I'll give them credit. It's called Sunant um, Interactive. Sunant Interactive. S-U-N-A-N-T. Sunant Interactive. Uh, Matt Collins, their, uh, their CEO, uh, located in Brookfield. They, um, do a great job managing the content and, and running the server for Belling.com. And so we sent this over to Matt and we missed like the 80 typos Mark had it in there and Matt fixed them all up and now it's good. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, Mark tried to spell check it, and you can't spell check a horse's name because it's, I mean, it's just not spell. I mean, it's just not in the database for it. Anyway, go to belling.com, click on the, on the icon, and you'll see Mark's picks. I'll give mine probably in the five o'clock hour. I, I'm going to pick the most, what I think is the most talented horse, but a horse who is unlikely to win tomorrow. But by the, by the end of the three year old season, by the time they run the Breeders' Cup, uh, at the end of October or early November, whenever it is this year, I think this horse that I'm going to pick is going to be the best three year old in this particular crop. Uh, am I looking at a mutter? I, you know, I, I don't know about that. All the, the horse racing insider stuff about a horse's, uh, genetics and, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, his mother was a mother. His father was a mother. Mother, um, as the old Seinfeld bit. But yeah, um, you know all that stuff. And there, there's even been some claims that horses that run well on wet tracks have similarities of the 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 design, the shape of their hoof or hooves. And I've never seen any. I mean, that's kind of like an old wives' tale. Yeah, it's got a broader, less cuppy hoof. Like, okay, are you sure about that? No. Same thing with courses that run well on grass, on turf as opposed to dirt. Different kind of you know, shape of hoof. Okay. I, I've never seen any of that. There, there are people who could, I mean, if I'm trying to handicap a race, I've got my face in a racing form. I'm looking at all this data till I, I just you know, totally you know, paralyze myself with, with data and, and I'm confused. There are some experienced people who've grown up around horses who can look at a horse and go, yeah, that, he's ready to run today. I wish I could do that. Yeah, You'd think Belling would be able to do that. He's been doing this over 30 years, for goodness sake. Well, yeah, I mean, Mark's a very good handicapper and, and he's more of a data-driven guy. I'm not sure if he's if he spent a lot of time, you know, sniffing horse poop in, in stalls to be able to look at a horse and tell if he's ready to run. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so I said that there were two storylines in this Supreme Court opinion leak on Roe. Two that were very compelling, and I think one is more impactful than the other. I think the fact that if Roe is overturned, it doesn't stop the carnage it just gets returned to the states. That's important to get rid of bad constitutional precedent, don't get me wrong. But I think the more impactful thing has to do with the other part of the story, and that's the reaction to the fact that this draft opinion was leaked in the first place. Ask yourself this. Roe v. Wade is a deeply flawed ruling. And everybody knows it. Like I, like I said before, not just conservative constitutional scholars, but very liberal ones have poked a lot of holes 
in the rationale that Harry Blackman and six other members of the Supreme Court back in 1973 that they offered in conjuring up this, you know, before uh, this um, right, right to privacy that before that moment had not been perceived to be in the Constitution. So everybody knows that it's bad law, bad ruling, bad precedent. So the question is, how did Roe survive for nearly 50 years? How did this ruling survive? And I think there's an answer to that. The answer is that the individuals who have sat on the Supreme Court in the interim, many of them, maybe not all, but many, made an assumption. And their assumption was that overturning Roe would unleash a massive, politically unhinged, potentially violent reaction from the radical pro-abortion left. That, that was sort of the equation. Well, if we overturn Roe, there's going to be mayhem. And through those nearly five decades, no configuration of the Supreme Court had the courage, had the backbone, or the resolve to undo a ruling that everybody knew needed to be undone. The Supreme Court had several opportunities over those 50 years to overrule Roe v. Wade. And the most notable one was back in 1992 in a case from Pennsylvania called Planned Parenthood versus Casey, where the court upheld the substance of Roe but came up with this remarkably vague, unworkable, undue burden standard for determining the constitutionality of state abortion laws. Well, does the law place a woman place an undue burden on a woman if she, she needs to get an abortion or wants to get an abortion. Well, what constitutes an un, undue burden? And then Scalia asked it, asked it kind of in reverse. Oh, then due burdens are okay? <laughs> what is, you know, what's a due burden? If, it, if, if we're trying to avoid undue burdens, should we, should we assess if there's a burden, is it okay to have some burden? Absolutely unworkable. You know, they tried to get away from the, the trimester test in Roe, you know, almost no regulation, first trimester, some regulation, second trimester, you know, almost all complete ban on abortion, third trimester. That's basically what Roe v. Wade said. Let, let me get back to the substance of this. In short, I believe the Supreme Court let a bad ruling stand for five decades because the Supreme Court was intimidated by the potential reaction of liberal elected officials, of potentially unhinged activists, and of course they were concerned about the reaction of the liberal news media and what the news media, how they would frame this in terms of the legitimacy of the Supreme Court. And if that's true, there's another question that needs to be asked. If the Supreme Court was intimidated into allowing this to stand for nearly 50 years, what's different now? What's changed? And further, there's another question. Are we on the uptick side, the uphill side, of seeing conservative, traditionalist Americans finally be fed up with the tactic of intimidation from the left? In essence, are these five Supreme Court justices saying, you know what, we don't care 
if there's some big lefty explosion out there. This is bad law. It's our job to set this straight in terms of the constitutional interpretation, and we're going to do it. And and we don't we're not intimidated by this reaction. Are we beginning to see the sprinkles of backlash against the politics of intimidation? You know, tossing out Roe v. Wade. The state of Florida and Governor DeSantis down there whacking the PP of the Disney Corporation over that company's woke-driven, bogus criticism of the state's parental rights and education law. You know, I, I think that that what DeSantis and the Florida legislature did in, in that state was a shot across the bow of woke corporate activism. That's That's exactly what that was. It, that was a shot that said, you know what? We're not taking this anymore. We're also, in, in, in the most recent election cycle, across this country, we saw liberal school board members de-elected by the hundreds. People, when they found out what was in the curricula and some of the other garbage, like CRT being woven into educational materials... And they did enough. They're not standing for that anymore. Yeah, well, Paul, it was accelerated by that. Paul said during COVID, you know, all of a sudden parents were looking over their kids' shoulders at, at the, uh, the the Zoom classes that were being conducted, and they were some were stunned at some of the nonsense that was on there. Tossing out Roe v. Wade, taking a stand against Disney's woke posture on, on the Florida uh, parental rights and election law. School boards being turned over to more conservative members. And, and I would argue, maybe the whole political mo- movement that was set in motion by Donald Trump six, seven years ago. Is this the, the beginning of the revolt, the backlash against the politics of intimidation? Do you think that middle America is finally fed up with this? I think there's some indication of that. You know, I think we saw it kind of in the in the so-called mommy revolt, where people started showing up at school board meetings demanding to be heard. That's when the, the, the foundation was laid to get rid of some of these uber lefties that were determining educational curriculum and policy. Do you think that middle America's finally had enough? I think it's promising. I think it's impactful, and that's why I think it's the bigger side of this story. If you care to comment, uh, please feel free to do so. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open to you at 414-799-1130. 414-799-1130 is the telephone number. And I want you just to, to answer that baseline question. Do you think that one thing we are starting to see, and maybe one element of the Supreme Court leak story that has been undercovered and sort of lies beneath the surface, is the fact hopefully a fact, or, or maybe the, the, the unveiling of a trend of more traditional middle America taking a stand against this, the politics of intimidation, the, the woke, as, as Jay Weber calls it, cry-bullying of some members of the left. I think there are definitely elements of that. Now, if you care to call, again, 
Uh, Acuna Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1130 is the uh, telephone number if you want to weigh in on that. And like I said, I think that that of the two parallel storylines in this Supreme Court uh, draft opinion leak, that that one in the long run might be the more impactful because it shapes not only politics, but society to a certain extent and to a certain extent, you know, the culture. One thing is for sure, the, the attempts by the extremist left at intimidation are not going to be stopping. In fact, if anything, at least in the short run, they're going to try to double down on this. Um, the most high-profile indication that the left is not going to give up on the attempts at intimidation is the doxing of six members of the United States Supreme Court online with the idea that there is going to be some sort of protest outside their residences. This is a place where their families reside. Uh, National Review uh, turned out a story on this yesterday. Um, It says this in part. In response to the Monday night leak of a draft Supreme Court opinion that would overturn Roe v. Wade, the leftist group called Ruth Sent Us posted its claims, posts what it claims, are the home addresses of the court's six conservative justices online in preparation for an organized walk-by protest set to take place outside those justices' homes next week. Ruth sent us plans to dispatch demonstrators to the home of the, quote, the six extremist justices, end quote, on Wednesday, May 11th, according to the group's website. Let me interject there. Do you think John Roberts, would you characterize him as, do you think John Roberts characterizes himself as an extremist? He's not even voting in the majority, and he's getting doxxed on this one. The uh, website posting states the following, quote, announcing, Walk by Wednesday, May 11th, 2022, at the home of the six extremist justices, three in Virginia and three in Maryland. If you'd like to join or lead a peaceful protest, let us know. The group adds the following, quote, Our 6-3 extremist Supreme Court routinely issues rulings that hurt women, racial minorities, LGBTQ+, and immigrant rights. We must rise up to force accountability using a diversity of tactics, end quote. The diversity of tactics is, by the way, the implied threat. You know, we'll march and do whatever else, I think is what they, the impression they want to leave. In collaboration with an organization called Vigil for Democracy, Ruth sent us generated and posted a Google Maps graphic pinning what, uh, what it claims to be are the home addresses of Justices Barrett, Kavanaugh, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, and Roberts, where they presumably reside with their families. Vigil for Democracy titled the map, quote, extremist justices, end quote, adding, quote, where the six Christian fundamentalist justices issue their shadow docket rulings, end quote. And by the way, in the state of Virginia, where three of those six justices live, protesting outside a private home is illegal. These protesters could be arrested. Whether or not they will is a matter of some debate. You know, I know it's kind of an esoteric thing to to get your arms around. A lot has been made about the little cartoon graphic that Elon Musk 
posted on his Twitter account, what was that, a week ago now or so? You know, it's a graph showing, you know, a political spectrum. Liberals on the left, conservatives on the right, and then Musk portrays himself in all, in all three of these in a static position. He's in the same place. And the line just moves. He starts out as a little bit liberal. You know, 10 years later, he's a moderate. You know, 10 years after that, he's conservative. And his point was, I haven't moved. I think that the left is overplaying its hand by quite a bit. The tactics being employed... The notion of trying to bludgeon corporations, individual citizens, with the threat of cancellation or you know, protests that have turned violent in the past. Labeling, as Paul points out, labeling parents who show up at school board meetings as domestic terrorists, for God's sake. I just sense... And maybe this is me being in my own little bubble. I'll admit that there's a chance of that. I just sense that there is a wave of discontent growing. There is a building sense that this has gone too far. And I think we are going to see some reckoning with regard to the politics of all this as, you know... What um, what did Richard Nixon call it? Uh, the silent majority. As the silent majority, the bear has been poked, rises back up, and says, no more. If that's the case, given the current makeup of the Democrat Party, and how they've let you know, this, this massive radicalization of their party you know, be sort of cemented in, you know, the, the Democrats who are bitching and moaning right now, the loud ones, they're bitching and moaning that the Democrats aren't lefty enough. You know, the, the Rashida Tlaibs and the Ilhan Omars and the AOCs of the world. No, these are a bunch of old fossils who aren't nearly liberal enough running our party. That's what they say. Well, if the middle rises up against where the Democrat Party is now, and the Democratic Party refuses to to moderate its position and goes even further left, they're going to go wander in the political desert maybe for a generation. 4 o'clock, News Talk 1130 WISN. 4.15 on a Friday afternoon, News Talk 1130 WISN. Friday afternoon show coming your way, Jerry Bond hosting this week. Thank you for listening. I do appreciate it. Before I forget to do it, let me give you the keyword in the nationwide spring green cash contest, the keyword for the 4 o'clock hour, the nationwide keyword this hour is cash, C-A-S-H. Nationwide keyword this hour, Spring Green Cash Contest, is cash, C-A-S-H. You have until 55 minutes past the hour to go to Newstalk1130.com and enter the word cash to enter the contest for this hour. Good luck to each and every one of you. Do that when it's safe. Don't do that while you're driving or anything like that. But um, I'd like to see everybody play this hour, the Spring Green Cash Contest. Again, the word this hour is cash, C-A-S-H. 
go and uh, play that contest. Enter that word at Newstalk1130.com. How many winners do we have? Nine or ten in this contest cycle? You know what's weird about this contest cycle is they cut down the number of times you play. Uh, we play nine times a day. And for some reason, I don't. I got to talk to somebody about this on the corporate side. They don't play at all in morning drive. In, in, it's nine to five. And, 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 I mean, not just Milwaukee, but obviously this contest is played nationwide, so it's staggered by time zones, right? But in no time zone do they start before nine o'clock local time. So they, I don't, you're asking if Jay Weber feels slighted by this? He might be relieved because it's one last thing for him to remember. Um, but it's, what's odd about it is, you know, sort of the traditional thinking in broadcast radio is that morning drive sort of sets the table for the rest of the day. And on, on WISN, Weber's show is so funny and unique and interesting, and it certainly fills that bill. Why you wouldn't want to, you, you know, draw audience to it with a contest that's obviously very popular on this radio station since we lead the, the all other 850 radio stations and iHeart you know, generating winners. Why wouldn't you want to play that morning drive? I don't know. It's like our old uh, IT guy here, Tim Merton. Uh, I used to ask him every once in a while, there'd be some sort of corporate IT dictate coming down and that wouldn't make any sense to me. You know, um, from now on, every time you type in a password, you have to type in the, the letters Z-E-H before you type in. Well, Tim, why is that? And one time he looked at me and he goes, look it. At McDonald's, when they decide to, to add a new sandwich, they don't ask the guy scrubbing the toilets at the McDonald's in Milwaukee whether or not that's a good idea. It's sort of the same thing. Some of the, I'm guessing there's a reason that they're doing it. There would almost have to be, but uh, whatever it is, that reason escapes me. All right. I have one more thing about this Roe v. Wade deal, and I would like to hear from the audience on this part of it. If not, though, we'll, we'll tie a bow around it and move on. But I think this is something that, that's weighing on my heart at, at you know, a, a significant level. And I wanted to offer it up and see if other people feel the same way. So I'd like, if, if you are inclined to react and to participate, acting at Maurice talking text line, 414-799-1130. With regard to, well, I, something very fundamental and, and I find extremely disturbing has been re-exposed in the context of this story about the potential of Roe v. Wade being overturned. Something has resurfaced about it, and I think it's something that should be acknowledged as painful as it is to acknowledge it, and it is painful. I I can't come close to expressing my extreme revulsion, and I guess deep, deep, deep sadness that there are so many people in this country who are so, so committed, committed emotionally and committed intellectually and committed almost religiously that they are so, so committed to ending innocent human life. It's, it's not only repulsive to me, it's stunning. Ask yourself why abortion was outlawed 
in so many states before Roe v. Wade wiped all those state laws off the books, basically. It's because that there was a sense of decency that said that you don't kill babies. Because in the end, this is not a debate exclusively about constitutional rights. It's not a debate exclusively about the nuances of the law. It's not a debate over political posturing. Plainly and directly, this is still about killing babies. That's the end result. Dead babies. In 50 years of abortion on demand in America, six times as many human lives have have been lost as were lost in what is considered to be one of the greatest atrocities ever against humanity, the Holocaust. If the Holocaust was an atrocity, and it certainly was an enormous one, how do you characterize something that has six times that human cost? I truly do not understand the moral position of a woman or of women who have given birth themselves to children of their own. When pregnant, almost all of them refer to the child that they're carrying as my baby. They don't say, you know, they don't, you know, the end of my gestation will be in five weeks. They'll say, no, my baby's supposed to be born in five weeks. My due date's in five weeks. If they know, both scientifically and intellectually and morally, that they are carrying a baby or they have carried a baby, you would think that the thought of other women killing babies would be abhorrent to them. How then can they support non-therapeutic abortion on demand? I don't get it. As I have listened and watched this story unfold, the questions that surface are they're unavoidable. They're troubling. I mean, they're basic. Where's the humanity? Where's the compassion? <laughs> Above all, where is the just the basic human decency in this? Those are troubling questions and questions that are not only valid to be asked, but I think one that shines a bright spotlight on where our culture and society have gone, how much it's deteriorated. So if you care to comment, I, I, I don't know what the question is. Are we, are we doomed to live in a culture where decency and compassion are now like permanently disvalued? I, I, I don't know what, what to ask other than that. But that's what, what comes back to me. That's, that's what hits me between the eyes in this story is that there are, are, are so many people. You, you see them, you know, these politicians, these elected officials up on the news. And I know they're doing it for, for political reasons. I get it. I I'm, I'm, didn't you know, just fall off the truck the other day. I know why they're doing it, but there are some who have this conviction that taking innocent human life somehow makes the status of a woman whole. We are less, we're second class citizens if we don't have you know, autonomy with regard to our own bodies. We need to have a choice. Well, it occurs to me, and it's just the way that were built as human beings that women who are pregnant already made a choice didn't they 
She, oh, what about rape and incest? Yeah, okay, you know what? Uh, if you want to have abortion on demand for all the cases of rape and in, incest and, and outlaw all the rest of abortions on demand, if, if that's the exchange, I don't agree with it, but I'll, I'll, I, I, I don't think that's right. But I think that I'd be willing to entertain the idea of trading those two things. Where's the basic human decency? I, I, I know that's sort of a broad question, but I really, it, that's, that's what struck me this whole week. Uh, Acunet Mortgage Talking Text Line, 414-799-1130. Let's go to uh, Sheboygan. Patrick's there. Patrick, you're on. Go ahead. How's it going? Good. Uh, so two points. Um, one, I'm not a biologist, so um, I don't know if women or men can give birth. Because um, it's birthing person. Are, 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 you, are, you, are you afraid that you will queer any opportunity you will uh, have to be appointed to the Supreme Court if you uh, take any other position than you are not a biologist? I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, and secondly, we do lose our humanity when we start killing people. I mean, is it okay to walk into a hospital and just pull someone off life support? Well, I, I mean, when you get right down to it, and, and one of the things that, that uh, the, the pro-abortion left is howling about is, well, you know, if, if this goes back to the states, there are many states with laws that ban abortion. There's a reason why that was. It's because those laws were passed when there was a sense of, of basic human decency that said that it was wrong to kill unborn children. That's, I mean, that's where, where it came from. As a matter of fact, in, in this, um, this, uh, uh, partially uh, this this draft opinion that was leaked uh, in the opinion uh, it was stated directly that you know to to find a right that's not enumerated in the constitution but but apply, uh, implied there has to be a strong societal sense that that right exists and the very fact that the history of abortion law said that many people in many states did not want abortion outlawed abortion on demand shows what the society norm was back in those days society has changed and the norms may have changed but basic human decency should not have changed um in mequon jason's there jason you're on go ahead hey jerry how's it going good thanks that's good um i am pro-life and i'm glad to hear the decision come out as early as it did uh so yeah something to look forward to and all these whack jobs get the protesting out of the system which i don't agree with yeah, well, I mean, I, I, go ahead and protest. My when I when I look at at some person, you know, screaming about, you know, there's, I mean, you see the, the some of these videos of of uh, ex- extreme abortion activists uh, being posted on TikTok, you know, talking about, you know, there's going to be mayhem if they o- overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, well, there's two things. First of all, just because Roe v. Wade gets overturned, unfortunately, doesn't mean that abortion is outlawed completely in the United States or abortion on demand. You know, the, the killing goes on. The geography just changes. But secondly, I mean, are you that committed to, 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 um, to killing babies to the point where you are willing to, to take a, a violent posture to the streets? That just seems to be extraordinarily extreme to me. Um, to Pewaukee and Chuck. Chuck, you're on News Talk 1130 WISN. Oh, I didn't hit the button. I'm sorry. Chuck, I'm sorry. I, I mishit the button, but now you're on. Go ahead. Okay, I, I'm 100% pro-life. There was a time when I believed, uh, you know, when in that law being legal, but then when I found out the facts, 
Everything about Roe v. Wade was a lie to begin with. It's been perpetuated for such a long time, and finally the people are 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 getting their senses back. The, this uh, this draft makes perfect sense. Well, yeah, I, and I mean, but but understand this: the draft that Sam Alito you know wrote back in February and was leaked that talks about the constitutional interpretation of abortion law regulation that's what that that was about i'm talking about the morality of the practice and and w- w- the practice of performing elective abortions are there some circumstances where a woman may not be subjected to carrying a baby to term you know incest rape maybe in an honest you know a therapeutic abortion where if she doesn't get it she's going to die i can get all that but that is such a tiny 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 fraction of the abortions performed in the united states what about all the ones where it's just retro Active birth control, where it's, where it's a, an act of convenience. I mean, it's, it's horrible to think that somebody would make the decision to kill another human being because it's going to make my life easier or be more convenient for me. That's that's a difficult position to take. That's a degeneration of character in, in this in society. Uh, these people need to have more backbone. Well, I mean, that could very well be. It's it's certainly an erosion of what I would term. And, and, and label as basic human decency. Uh, to Fredonia and Kurt. Kurt, you're on. Go ahead. Kurt? Hi, uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Jerry. Yeah. Uh, I'm Christian and I'm pro-life. I'm very happy with this decision. Um, and uh, I think you brought up a very profound question. I really like the way you put it. Is it, uh, where is the humanity? I mean, uh, science has come along. I mean, I, I didn't need science to tell me. I knew it was a human life, but science has really come along. It's and it's proved that this is a human being to conclude any, any way else. It's, it's hard for me to imagine. Oh, it's just a piece of flesh. Oh, really? It's a piece of flesh that moves around, has a heartbeat, has a brain. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't understand the other side. Well, and here's, that. Kurt, uh, thanks for the call. Here's the, the, the part that's amazing. Think about the mental gymnastics one has to hold. If you are somebody, a, a, a female, who has children of their own, yet supports abortion on demand for reasons other than rape, incense, or, or a, ther- a true therapeutic need. So what you would consider to be abhorrent with regard to what might happen to your child, you would consider somehow to be okay if somebody else makes a different decision. I mean, it, it, it's either a baby or it's not. It's either a human life or it's not. And if you think it's a human life when you're carrying it around, but somehow it's not when somebody else is carrying it, it, it that seems to me to be both intellectually and morally um, corrupt. Uh, let me go to uh, the West Side and Rose. Rose, you're on News Talk 1130 WISN. Hi, this is Rose, and I just want to say you're absolutely right. I've had both an abortion and I've had babies, and it was the worst experience in my life, and it's a guilt that you carry with you forever. I, I would th- Rose, thanks for the call. I would, I would think so. And, and, I mean, people make bad choices and make mistakes in their lives. I totally get that. Again, one of the things I found to be so disturbing over the last four days is how vehement some people are that we must retain the, the ability with impunity to, to to kill babies. It's just remarkable to me. The, the reality is this. Women bear children. 
forget about what all the you know the trans activists tell you and all the the gender fluid stuff and that, that's that's you know females so we put you we'll make it sex females bear children that's the way we were created that's the way god made humans and nothing can change that it's the way it is and females being the sex that bears children it can be both an honor and a burden all at the same time i get that but to the women who are listening i would also suggest to you from a perspective of human decency that being the sex that bears children is a tremendous moral responsibility and I would ask you women who are listening don't you believe that it is imperative that women live up to that responsibility I know it wasn't your fault nor your choice necessarily what sex you were born in and it wasn't your fault or your choice that being female means that you bear children what I am saying is that there is a profound moral responsibility in that process in that capacity to bear children and one that humanity as a whole is grateful if you take that moral responsibility seriously and and execute that responsibility properly all right 433 news talk 1130 wisn the new ministry of truth being run by the uh the department of homeland security uh we'll t- if you think it through a little bit where does it get its power and the answer to that question is kind of frightening we'll get into it 433 441 news talk 1130 wisn friday afternoon show jerry bond here running the program for uh, this the first uh, friday of may the first saturday of may is the kentucky derby uh, if you want Mark Belling's picks for the Derby, they are posted right now at belling.com. Just click on the big Kentucky Derby uh, banner link there, and they'll take it to that one. Uh, he also made a pick uh, for the Kentucky Oaks, which is sort of the, the Philly uh, version of the Kentucky Derby. K- Kentucky Derby three-year-old Colts, male horses. The uh, Kentucky Oaks is three-year-old female horses, Phillies. And... Um, he picked up uh, in in the three horses he thought he had that had a chance. He picked a horse by the name of Cocktail Moments, um, that he labeled a major long shot. The eleven horse. This race, by the way, goes off in about ten minutes or so. Um, I just went and looked at the odds. That the odds of that horse are forty six to one right now. Ooh, could be a, could be a nice nice return on investment if that one came in. Um, and I looked at the weather for Louisville tomorrow. Um, a lot of rain today, so wet track, but drying track tomorrow. Uh, the rain's going to stop uh, early morning. By the time they run the race, which is about almost 7 o'clock local time, their eastern time, uh, 6 o'clock uh, Milwaukee time, that track should be relatively dry, I would think. So that's what's going on with the Derby. Belling.com for Belling's Derby picks. About to Do I drink mint juleps? I drink just about everything. I've had mint juleps. I don't like them. Um, I like bourbon. I like, like bourbon. I'm not a big mint guy on anything. I don't like mint ice cream. Like, I, I can eat, like, spearmint, like, hard candy. Peppermint, I don't like. So, no, I'm not a big mint julep person at, at all. 
Well, yeah, Paul said they're that good. We drink them all year long. I drink bourbon all year long. I, I have no problem with that. You know, give me a mint julep. Just don't give me all the other crap. Just give me the bourbon. That would be the way I would order it. Uh, forecast from the Fox 6 weather experts reads like this. Uh, tonight, the skies are going to clear. Lows right around 40. Tomorrow, sunny, beautiful. 60 lakeside, 65 inland. Sunday, increasing clouds. Again, temperatures the same, though. Right around 60 for a high lakeside inland in the middle 60s. And um, warming up on Monday, partly sunny, windy on Monday, with highs in the mid-70s on Monday inland, uh, closer to 70 uh, near Lake Michigan. 56 degrees right now here at Newstalk at 1130. W-I-S-N. When, when it comes to the dystopian Orwellian, what they're calling the Disinformation Governance Board, which I would also call in finest Orwellian fashion, and I'm not the only one. Dan O'Donnell's labeled it as well as the Ministry of Truth, You know, going back to the book 1984. When you talk about this so-called Disinformation Governance Board, there are there's no shortage of disturbing questions uh, about this thing, both structurally and, and, and in terms of its mission. And there is also a remarkable lack of inclination from the Director of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, or Biden mouthpiece, Jen Psaki, to offer any substantive answers to that, that legion of questions, that litany of questions. Both Psaki and Mayorkas are engaging in a not-so-artful game of political dodgeball. Among the questions that need to be asked, though, are these. Who, precisely, will decide what disinformation is and if disinformation, whatever that might be, is impactful enough to be a national security risk worthy of investigation, right? This is the the Department of Homeland Security. So if they're looking for disinformation, it's got to be disinformation that somehow puts the security of the country at risk. Who makes the decision of what, A, what is disinformation, and B, is it a big enough deal to warrant an investigation? I want a name. Who's the, what's the name of that person? There's a person that's heading up this board. Her name is Nina Jankowitz. Is, is it her decision? Is it a, a vote of the board? Is it Mayorkas being, you know, offering a, a, a decision after being, being um, or feeling a recommendation from this board? How does it work? Nobody's saying. Here's another question. Through what precise process was Nina Jankowicz, who's a lefty political person, how was it determined that she was the one to be selected to be the disinformation czar? Who else was considered? What was the process? And what are her qualifications? And as long as we're asking about how she was selected, why don't we ask why? Further, will Nina Jankowitz have the ultimate discretion in determining who and what gets investigated? So what's the pipeline for this disinformation? Who raises the the, the first red flag? Nina, I think there's something on Twitter that Paul Cronforce posted that's disinformation. Well, Paul works for a right-wing reactionary radio station. We'd best look into that immediately. Let's send our investigators out and 
dig into every corner of his life and see what crops up. Is that how this is going to work? So, is Nina Jankowicz going to have the ultimate discretion in determining who or what gets investigated? And if there is an investigation, who will be in charge of the investigation? Let me say that question again, or ask that question again. If there is an investigation, who will be in charge of it? Why did I repeat that one? Because that question is a huge one, and perhaps it's the most troubling question as well. Because if it's declared that some alleged, and I'm using scare quotes here, disinformation is a threat to the security of our homeland, wouldn't it fall to the FBI and or the CIA to conduct the investigation? And if that's the case, I ask you, do you trust the FBI or the CIA to determine what qualifies as legitimate information and what is actually disinformation? With all of the political hackery that we've seen in those two institutions lately, do you trust them to make this determination of who to investigate and how aggressively? No way in hell. You know that this is going to be political. Well, is it fair to say that we now know that there are elements of the intelligence community, both the FBI and the CIA, that are decidedly political? Absolutely. It's beyond debate. That's the case. And do we trust Nina Jankowitz, who labeled Hunter Biden's laptop as Russian disinformation at one point, do we trust her to be at the helm of this? Nina Jankowicz, Paul, get ready with the audio here. You know what else she did? She also claimed that parents fighting critical race theory, you know, elements of critical race theory working their way into curricula in school systems, she claimed that's disinformation. Critical race theory has become one of those hot button issues that uh, the Republicans and, and other, you know, disinformers um, who are engaged in disinformation for profit frankly there are plenty of you know media outlets that are making money off of this too have have seized on and i live in virginia uh, and in loudon county that's one of the areas um where people have really honed in on this topic did, did you catch that where she equated republicans as as and other disinformationers as if the republicans all engage in the establishment and the distribution of disinformation, that was an interesting, revealing little slip of the tongue by Nina Jankowitz, who is elected by no one. In fact, she was appointed to this position by somebody who was elected by no one. You know what this, this Ministry of Truth really is? It's another lefty attempt to intimidate people. That's what this is. You know, in your postings and in your speech, you'd better not cross liberal dogma or liberal sensibilities or <laughs> you might be a threat to homeland security and the disinformation governance board may need to give you a thorough rectal exam
457 News Talk 1130 WISN Friday afternoon show. Uh, Jerry Bont on the uh, program this week. Um, don't forget to listen to the remodeling show. Paul's back here bright and early at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, do, who's your guest on uh, the 7 o'clock hour of the remodeling show tomorrow? Tri-County Contracting in the 7 o'clock hour, and they're talking about, what, everything, right? Everything on the outside of your house. How about 8 o'clock? Oh, Abby Windows. Abby from Abby Windows. Got it. You know a girl in the business. Isn't that what... what, I know a girl radio.com. That's what it was. Thank you. So, Dinesh D'Souza... Did I say Dinesh? It's Dinesh. Dinesh D'Souza. Why did I say Dinesh? Oh, wait a second. Before I get into this. Play that commercial that led the last uh, commercial break. The, the, the DNR one. Have you ever spotted a fawn on its own? Before fawns are strong enough to keep up with their moms, they spend hours alone. While mom is away looking for food nearby, baby deer are safest, lying quiet and still. This natural behavior keeps them safe. Help protect them by keeping your distance. If you come across a fawn this spring, always remember, if you care, leave the fawn there. Learn more at dnr.wi.gov. This message is brought to you by the Wisconsin DNR. If you care, leave the fawn there. What, are people like picking them up and bringing them home for pets? What, 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 oh, hey, look, there's a baby deer. I think I'll, I'll just grab it and, and bring it on home. Yeah, we'll just we'll housebreak it and let it wander around our backyard. What, it, well, that's what I'm saying. Why is this this public service message or whatever that is from the DNR? Is this a, an issue? Are we seeing like you know like legions of of baby deer running about in suburban locales? I mean, what? Right, no. I it, but but I mean, I actually would make, making fun of it. But you're yeah. I, I mean, do you have a brain in your head if you see a fawn laying there? You, you leave the, the fawn alone because that's their natural defense is to blend in with the with the um, the, the grasslands and, the, and to lay still and not not move. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Paul says you see a, you see a robin's nest. You bring a couple of the eggs inside and just like you know you know, th- throw them in the microwave or, <laughs> or just you know, warm them up in the oven. No, you just leave that stuff alone. Dinesh D'Souza. Let me get back to this. The conservative commentator, conservative filmmaker. He's made a feature-length film about the rampant abuse of ballot drop boxes in the 2020 election. The movie is called 2,000 Mules. It premieres tomorrow online at 7 o'clock Central. If you want to go do the pay-per-view thing and watch it, and I'm not going to do it tomorrow because the Derby's running and I'm going to be not in my house at 7. But I do plan on on watching this because I saw the trailer. It looked pretty interesting. Um, you can go to 2000mules.com, and it's the number 2000, 2000mules.com, and the pay-per-view's there. And I didn't click through it to see how much they're charging, but I'm guessing it's probably reasonably affordable. Here's the thrust of the movie. D'Souza and his team, they focus on five swing states in the 2020 election. The five states are Arizona, Michigan, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and, yes, Wisconsin. And using cell phone tracking technology, plus the producers of this movie sifted through 4 million minutes worth of surveillance video um, that focused on these drop boxes. D'Souza and his team identified 2,000 so-called mules who made multiple trips to different ballot drop boxes to deposit multiple ballots. This is ballot harvesting, in essence. I believe the line 
that D'Souza and his team had was that one individual had to go to at least 10 different ballot drop boxes to qualify as a mule. And, indeed, they found 2,000 individuals who qualified under that criteria in these five states. The video shows, in some cases, these mules often wearing gloves, like surgical gloves or you know uh, vinyl gloves, no fingerprints, right? And sometimes they even took pictures with their phones of the ballots they were dropping. You know, why would they do that? Perhaps to document the fact that they actually did drop them in the box so that they could get reimbursed for that act? I don't know, maybe. Jay Weber did an excellent interview with Mr. D'Souza, and you can hear that interview right at the beginning of the podcast of Jay's show from today. So the May 6th podcast in Weber, it's the first element in the uh, podcast. If you want to hear it, Newstalk1130.com, you can go and and listen to it via stream. You can download it if you want to. Um, But uh, I heard the interview this morning. It was quite good. What, the whole thing makes me you know, kind of, kind of let's, let's freeze time for a second. Where do we stand on election integrity? As I said back in November of 2020, and I still say it now, and I believe it now, there's, I just don't think there's any way there were 81 million legitimate votes for Joe Biden in 2020. It's just There were too many statistical anomalies in too many different states that haven't been sufficiently explained or can't be explained away. I just don't, I mean, were there 81 million pieces of paper with the dot next to Joe Biden's name, you know, darkened? Maybe. 81 million voters for him? I I highly doubt it. And also, and now I'm going to be called a rhino by some people for saying this, I I speak truth, I, I have a grasp of reality. The results of the 2020 election aren't going to be overturned. This is people who still are, are are banging that drum, you're you're just you're you're wasting your time. That's what however the lessons you learn from fighting a battle need to be incorporated when you fight the next war and the next war is coming in November. It's not going to happen in Wisconsin, but in places where conservatives control both the legislature and the governor's mansion in those states, a couple of things need to happen. The first one is a complete ban of what I call no-excuse mail-in balloting. The second is ban the unregulated use of drop boxes. There shouldn't be 100 drop boxes you know, around the city of Madison, for example. There should be one at the city clerk's office. Both of those things, banning no-excuse mail-in balloting and um, banning unregulated use of drop boxes, both go back to the issue of ballot chain of custody, which I think was in major violation in many instances in the 2020 election that needs to be corrected to uphold election integrity. And the last thing I would do is this, or another thing, maybe it's not the last thing, another thing. I would hold election officials criminally liable for violating election laws. I mean, clearly the laws were being violated. I mean, we can get into all the other things, you know, banning the the, the private funding of, of election uh, execution apparatus, the so-called Zuckerbucks sort of things. That, that would be wise. All of those things are important. But if you get a, a, a an election clerk who clearly violates either the, the, the law or a court order, 
that person should be criminally liable for that. Remember the so-called democracy in the park, the, the, the ballot harvesting in the park in Madison? And a, a judge ordered that those ballots picked up during that process be segregated from other ballots. And the city clerk in Madison just ignored it, just mixed them all together. So they couldn't be segregated. They couldn't be challenged later on. That person, that person should have been charged with something for that. In the beginning of the next hour, in the final hour of the program, we won't have a ton of time to do it, I want to talk about the current housing market and sort of the dilemma that many, including my wife and I, who are in the housing market, the dilemma we face. 506, News Talk 1130 WIS. Third and final hour of the Friday afternoon show here at News Talk 1130 WISN. Jerry Vaught hosting the program this week. Thanks so much for listening. Mother's Day weekend. Uh, looks like the weather on Mother's Day on Sunday is going to be uh, pretty decent, maybe a little bit overcast, but mid-60s for highs compared to the crapola weather we've had recently. Uh, it's not uh, not too bad. Spring Green Cash Contest Word. Hourly prize is an instant win of 1,000 simoleons, 1,000 hours in cash. Nationwide keyword this hour in the Spring Green Cash Contest is money, M-O-N-E-Y, money. Why am I saying it that way? It's stupid. You know, let me try it again. The nationwide keyword this hour in the Spring Green Cash Contest is money. M-O-N-E-Y, money. You have until 55 minutes past the hour to go to Newstalk1130.com and enter the keyword, which once again, in case you're dense, is money. M-O-N-E-Y, money. If you do that, you go to Newstalk1130.com before 55 minutes past the hour and enter that word money, you will be entered into the contest for this hour. Buenas suerte. Good luck. To you, money is the keyword in the Spring Green Cash Contest for this hour. Right at the top of this topic, and Paul, I can take a couple of calls on this. We don't have much time. Before I do this topic, here's a disclaimer. I do not need a realtor. My wife and I have an alert, competent realtor looking out for us. If you are a realtor, God bless it, and you've probably made a lot of money over the last couple of years. Good for you. You've probably been you know, busier than, than crazy. Your wife's in this game. Does she have to work all hours of the day? I mean, the weekends and all sorts of stuff. What do you do? Do you just like, sit around and drink bourbon while she's gone? <laughs> or, she... Um, so Paul, Paul's wife is a, is, a, is a realtor and has done quite well. And I know others in the business that have done quite well. I don't need one. We've got a very good one. And let me say this. When it comes to financial matters like housing and investments and that sort of thing, I'm not a genius, but I usually have pretty decent instincts. And in my adult life, I'm happy to report that the housing market has been pretty good to me. Been able to amass some equity over the years. So I find myself and my, my wife and I find ourselves in this situation. Our house in Brookfield, over 3,000 square feet, is too big. My stepkid had moved to Madison. He got himself a great job. You know, make a darn near as much money as I'm making. And, you know, so it was just my wife and I and two dogs in this three-level house. Just didn't make any sense. And, you know, the, the market was good. It was seller's market. So we sold, we sold the house last July. And in terms of equity, we did pretty well. And 
I figured, and I think we collectively figured, it would be probably a year or better before we made our next and maybe final purchase of a of a home. So we rented this condo-style apartment not too far away from where our house was. Pretty small and pretty pricey, by the way. Now, on the buyer side of the current housing market here in southeastern Wisconsin, and I assume in a lot of other places in America, it's just been nuts. I mean, we've been forwarded the listings of dozens and dozens of properties. We've seen a couple we've liked. One of them was purchased for cash. The other one was on the market for four hours. Four hours. It it started to get, this was on the 31st of March. It was starting to be shown at 9 a.m. by 1 p.m. accepted offer. Four hours. My wife saw it. She said, oh, I really like this one. I said, well, great. After work, you know, we'll go back and see it. And then we get a note from our real that don't bother, accepted offer. Wow. Buyers making offers 10, 20, 30, 40 grand over asking price. Not unusual for a listing to get five, six, ten offers after you know one day or two days worth of showings. And I mean, prices, in my opinion, just kind of out of line. You know, five hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars for a sixteen hundred square foot condo. No thanks. No, no, just not doing that. So going into the process, I thought we'd have to, at a certain extent, kind of wait it out a little bit. I wasn't so naive as to think that, you know, the instant I, I got a good number for our existing home, that all of a sudden the housing market, you know, the bottom would fall out of it, we'd get some bargain. I was not under that illusion at all. However, there were two things that I did not factor in, and I'll be the first to admit it. The first one is 9% inflation, massively eroding the purchasing power of the proceeds of of the house we sold. If anybody tells you that they saw 9% inflation coming a year ago, they're lying to you. We knew there was going to be some inflation because of the irresponsible fiscal policies of Biden. And the Fed just gets sitting on its hands. You know, I thought we'd see 4 or 5% inflation. You know, double that. I didn't see that coming. And because of Biden's inflation, the Fed now taking the posture that to try to slow inflation, it's got to raise the, the, what's known as the Fed funds rate. It's the money that, that banks pay to, to, uh, to borrow money. The Fed funds rate was raised after the meeting this week of the Federal Reserve by 50 basis points. That's double the usual increase. First time, I believe since 19, or no, since 2000, first time in 22 years, it's been, it's been raised by 50 basis points. And because of those baseline interest rates going up, what's happening to average mortgage rates? Up. You know, not too long ago, a 30-year fixed mortgage, you could, you know, nail one down for around three and three-eighths percent, three and a half percent. Now that's up to low fives and go, go, going up. So here we sit. We sit with, with the proceeds of our house sale being eroded by Biden's inflation. An incredibly still hot buyer's market. Now it slowed down some. Did you, did your wife report this? It's not quite as crazy now as it was 45 days ago, but still, it's pretty nutty. Yeah, it's still nutty. Um, I mean, now we're actually seeing houses be on the market for like four days. Wow. 
um so you know, what do we what do you do your your mortgage rates going up purchasing power of the proceeds of our house sale going down do you rush into the market right now and overpay trying to lock in a, a lower interest rate for your mortgage or do you wait and hope i can't be the only one in this situation i got to believe there are others if you care to comment on this in general, you don't have to comment on my situation, but just the housing market in general, it I mean, I don't see any way that I get out of this without at some side of the, of a transaction getting screwed somewhat, right? Either paying more than a, than a house the house that we sold, we actually bought in 2006, and we bought it right at the peak of the housing market, right before the whole mortgage industry crashed. And it took a while to recover our equity in that one. What I don't want to do now is rush into this, overpay, and then, you know, a year from now, have the the housing market crash, and there I'm sitting there with an overvalued property. But on the other hand, what if it doesn't crash? What if these prices are here to stay? I don't know what... Accident workers talking text line 414-799-1130. And if nobody wants to comment on this, uh, I'll sit there and moan for another minute and then I'll, I'll move on to other things. But, um, it's been a remarkable experience. And, and, you know, we didn't get right back into the housing market after we sold our house with regard to the move. And it's just, I mean, when you've accumulated, you know, 15, 16 years worth of stuff in a house, moving all of that around is, you know, it, it's exhausting, and it's funny. I was sitting sitting in our, our place the other day, looking at all the stuff on the walls of, of our of our uh, living space right now, and it occurred to me, I did not hang one thing. Not one of these was born of my effort. My wife did all of it. Well, Paul, isn't that great? Yeah, except that you know, at the beginning of this process, so. I I began to start to toy around. We sold our house in July, like in October, November. I was like, yeah, maybe start looking for a different house. And I started actually to talk about that in September. And my wife just said, hey, you know what? I can't do that right now. I can't consider going on because I haven't recovered from this move. And she's right. I mean, that's nothing wrong with her her position at all. I mean, it's exhausting. And... All, my, my whole point is, it was hard to anticipate that it was all going to shake out like this. The wild card is the inflation, the inflation that's driving both mortgage rates going up and eroding eroding the purchasing power of the existing proceeds of the house we sold. That That's really kind of screwing us in, in a lot of ways. Uh, Racine, Chris, you're on. Go ahead. Hi, Chris. Hi. You know, this is, it is very terrifying because, uh, everybody's, my realtor's like, oh, everybody's waving appraisals, they're waving, uh, they're waving inspections, and in my last house, I got screwed big time, uh, and I had an inspection, but the point is, is, the last house we looked at, we wanted it very bad. She comes in two days, it's on the market. Oh, you're the 11th offer. Yeah. You're number 11. <laughs> I mean, what, what? Why, how much over do we have to bid? Oh, everybody's probably going to go over about 30000 Yeah, that, and that, but, that, that's you know. exactly right. And not only that, I mean, there, there, there's another thing, too. And this is, I mean, it's, a, it's a, certainly a seller's market, so I'm not, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with this, but a lot of these sellers are doing this. 
we're going to we'll post it at a little bit lower than we think the actual value is and we'll take offers for 24 hours and then we want 24 hours to consider them and they'll get you know 9 10 11 offers to to pick from and you don't know with whom you're competing or at what level you just have no idea when you're writing the offer so the the inclination if you really want the property is to write a pretty big offer like you said 20 25 30 grand over asking price and hope that you you hit the target accurately it's it's a it's a game of financial chicken in a lot of ways don't you think chris Yes, yeah, so, so but but is it wise to just wait this out? I don't know. That's that's what I'm 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 pondering on the air. Like I said, usually I have good instincts about about stuff like this. In this particular case, I have no good instincts at all. And, and I, I I fear that uh, I'm just going to sit here and spin my wheels, and, and somehow um, it's not going to turn out well for me in the end. Uh, Wawatosa and Debbie, Debbie, you're on News Talk 1130 WISN. Debbie Paul says you can build, except that all the materials are on some boat from China, and and, 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 the, and the price of the materials are like doubling every day <laughs> that's true so they say <laughs> the only thing i'm going to say about it is i don't know how fast you want to do this but historically speaking years of elections the interest rates tend to uh go down really well, I mean, but here's the problem that the Fed is already on the record saying that they're looking at six, perhaps seven interest rate heights this year. And you know, the, the right. assumption was they're going to do it a, a, a quarter point, 25 basis points at a time. Now they're looking at inflation at 9%. This one was 50 and the next one might be 52. And that's going to translate to mortgage rates that are currently in the low fives to be in the middle to upper fives, you know, six weeks from now or eight weeks from now. That's, you know, so if you're going to jump, Debbie. You got to jump pretty quick. Um, North side, Charlie. You're on News Talk 1130 WISN. Yeah, as long as he keeps on inflating, prices are going to go up. Building prices are going, houses are going, everything's going to go up. And when and, and he's increasing interest rates, that means businesses can't borrow, and that's going to force everything into a recession. And then if you wait for a recession, then you'll have uh, plenty of houses to buy. Well, and, 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 and I mean, I, I I don't want. Thanks for the call, Charlie. I, I don't want to root against the American economy. I don't want to root against people losing their jobs, but Charlie's right. If there's a recession and and some people who have overextended themselves suddenly don't have the the means to to pay off some pretty steep mortgages, they might have to sell at that point and look for other arrangements. And that, and the, the supply of houses might increase the supply of listings and that might drive uh, prices down or at least stabilize them at some point. Here's the other thing. I mean, I, I just had my taxes done. A guy that does my taxes every year. You would be offended if you saw the size of the check that we wrote to the federal government this year. You, we have maximum deduct. I mean, we have max, maximum withholding. Well, no, not, not capital gain on the house because you can be exempt for, I forget what the number is, but we are well under the exemption. No mortgage interest to deduct. I had no more loan for seven months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and now I'm, you know, four months plus into this year with no mortgage interest deduction. I'm going to end up writing another huge check at the end of this year. The only gratification is that that check is going to be worth less to to Biden's government because his inflation will erode erode the purchasing power of even that money that I'm going to have to, or that my wife and I are going to have to cough up. 533, Newstock 1130 WISA. 
541 News Talk 1130 WISN Friday afternoon show. Jerry Bott hosting this week. Thanks for listening. Do appreciate it. Uh, Kevin Nicholson, yeah, we heard there at the end of that commercial break. It's appropriate because I'm going to just take two, three minutes to talk about sort of the state of the Republican race uh, for the gubernatorial nomination. Um, but right now, the forecast from the Fox 6 weather experts tonight, clearing skies, lows around 40. Tomorrow, sunny, beautiful day, 60 for a high lakeside, 65 inland. Sunday, increasing clouds, low 60s lakeside for high, high mid-60s inland for highs on Sunday, and then warming into the 70s and the 80s early next week. 56 degrees right now here at News Talk 1130 WISN. We are now 14 weeks away from the primary election for the Republican nomination for governor. All three of the, what I would call the well-financed candidates, uh, Becky Clayfish and Kevin Nicholson and Tim Michaels, they're all now running ads on TV, radio, and online. So the spending has begun. It's interesting to see the postures. They're trying to posture Rebecca Clayfish as the person who can stand strong against destructive liberal policies, claiming that she's the one with the backbone to stand up to the lefties. I would not be surprised at some point to see some Act 10 protest film rolled out into some of her TV ads with the voiceover that she was there when this was going on, and by God, you know, she's, she stood up to him then, she'll stand up to him now. That kind of thing. Kevin Nicholson, as we sort of heard in that last radio ad there, he's running against the current Republican establishment as much as anything else, implying that they're, they're kind of do-nothings. Tim Michaels is running against everything. He's running against all of it, including he's, he's sort of running against the devaluation of work ethic, right? You know, now people sit on the coach. When I was nine, my dad handed me a shovel. Uh, well, I, I think it's actually okay. Hey, did you just shovel to do what? To, to go dig that subway tunnel out in New York City? I mean, what what exactly were you doing with the shovel? Doesn't doesn't quite say. Um, yeah, Michaels is is sort of railing against the erosion of patriotism. You know, now now everybody you know takes a knee. He says he's going to turn Madison upside down, and I'm guessing that he probably would. You know, somebody from the business sector getting elected. You know, Ron Johnson wasn't given much of a chance in 2010 to beat, you know, political animal Russ Feingold and did so and did so pretty handily. I think it was about a six point win, five or six points. You know, Michaels, we'll, we'll see. The good news, at least thus far, is that none of these three are rolling out any sort of venom or vitriol directed at each other. We'll see how long that, that holds. Tim Michaels appears to have survived the he doesn't really live in the state story when that was broken. What was that, early this week? Was it Monday? Um, you know, the revelation that his wife and his kids have been basically living in suburban um, New York City for, what, nine, ten years, something like that. I think that, that Tim Michaels or the people handling his campaign did a smart thing. When that story broke, you know, within a couple hours, he went live on Dan O'Donnell's show on this radio station and answered direct questions. And one rationale that he put out there was, look, you know, I went out there to oversee a project, and they had a big $100 million project in, in, in New York City that took like three years or so. But they stayed out there. His kids were then, you know, in school out there. He said, basically, I didn't want to rip my kids out of school. And I think that is a very plausible thing for the Republican base. There's a lot of other people who can relate to that, going, yeah, you know what, you know, I've, I've turned on job promotions or declined to switch jobs, or 
decided to, you know, offered something within my company in a different city, but I decided to stay because, you know, I've got a 14-year-old who's a freshman in high school and going to school with all the, the kids that she went with uh, in elementary school, and I don't want to take her away from that. that, that that's a parental decision that seems relatively commonplace and it flies i think it, that's one of his reasons i've that, no 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 reason to, to think that that wasn't the case i also pieced together some background information on how much tim michaels is spending and this is especially important because he got into the rate late the, the uh, race late uh let me tell you t- tim michaels is making a serious run at this thing he's spending a ton i mean I mean, I, I'm not going to give you a precise number because I don't know the precise number. I've been told by others what some of these expenditures are. Big. So he's serious about this. He's going to take a shot at it. The Michaels campaign points out to me that since he's got into the race, all of a sudden Tony Evers is up on TV now. And right now Tony Evers is doing the sort of the conciliatory you know, oh, how wonderful things are in Wisconsin. We've had some tough times. Unemployment's low. There's still work to do. Folks, I don't want to engage in all of this bickering. You know, that kind of thing. That's it. But trust me, as soon as a Republican nominee has been named, Tony Evers will be as much about partisan bickering as anybody. But anyway, the, the report is that the... Um, the uh, Democrat uh, Governors Association is going to pony up $20 million into Evers' campaign uh, for media or whatever they're gonna, else they're going to use it for. Uh, I'm not surprised because they are desperate to hold the governor's seat in the state of Wisconsin. If a Republican is voted, is elected governor of Wisconsin with the Republicans holding both houses of the state legislature, the Republicans can get, for, for at least two years, a pretty good agenda going. And uh, I think they would do so. Paul, you have that audio kind of ready? Sometimes you watch and you listen to Joe Biden, and you watch and you listen to some of the people working for Joe Biden, and you wonder, where's the competence? And and where's the the, the grasp on, on the reality that the rest of us see? Now, of course, Biden himself is a gaffe machine. He's a, he's a one-man rhetorical clown car. He's been that way for 40 years. This is nothing new. It's just it's just the way he is. I mean, now with the dementia sinking in, it's just accelerated the process. Remember, remember back in 2015, Biden was speaking at a campaign event in Missouri. It wasn't his own campaign because he was not running for president. He was vice president at the time, the tail end of the Obama administration. But he's at some campaign event in Missouri, and then Vice President Joe Biden asked a wheelchair-bound state senator to stand up. And I also am told that uh, that uh, uh, Chuck Graham, state senator, is here. Chuck, stand up. Chuck, let him see you. Oh, God love you. What am I talking about? I tell you what, you're making everybody else stand up, though, pal. <laughs> okay, right? One, Once-in-a-lifetime gaffe, Right. Right, you you'd think that you know, ha- having asked a man in a wheelchair to stand up to be identified, that Biden would never do that again, even even through the the fog of dementia. One one time only, right? Wrong, wrong, wrong. And a recent photo op at the White House that was celebrating Paralympic athletes. These are are athletes who are in wheelchairs or they have artificial limbs and the like. Listen to what Joe Biden tells them not to do at the right before the picture, this this large picture on the South Lawn was taken. 
wheelchair basketball player, Matt Scott. Here we go. Don't jump. He's telling people with artificial limbs or who are in wheelchairs to not jump. What an just odd, inappropriate thing to say. I mean, this is this is the most routine of a routine White House photo op. They do literally dozens of these every year. All you got to do if you're president is show up and, and, not, and not screw up. It's almost impossible to screw it up. He screwed it up. And it's not just Sleepy Joe. Some of the people that are working for him right now are so deep inside the D.C. bubble, their attitudes and their opinions and their, their sensibilities just don't resonate. They, they, they border on fantasy. There's a woman by the name of Gina McCarthy. Do you know who she is, Paul? She is the White House advisor on national climate. She's like the head climate change person in the Biden administration. In a recent speech at Tufts University, listen to the abjunct joy in her voice when she talks about the prospect of, oh boy, we get to give more government regulation. Listen to this. We have solutions that can deliver. We're, going to, we're actually going to do 100 rules this year alone. 100! Just like you asked. We are developing partnerships on how we work together for new building standards, even for sustainable airlines. Who'd have thunk that they'd be all in, but they better be or they're going to be out of here. Does this woman actually believe that the American people are going to stand by and accept the loss of air travel because of climate change? She's nuts. (laughs) Well, that's that's kind of a slag. Who'd have thunk it? I don't, I don't quarrel with that. The notion of, well, we are having sustainable airlines. Are they going to be out of here? No, they're not. No. Delta and American and United, they're still going to be flying. They're still going to be burning jet fuel. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. And if you try to ground all those planes that are, that are using carbon-based fuels, and all of a sudden America's air travel grinds to a halt, expect a little bit of political fallout that you're not going to be able to, to withstand. I've got one more left-leaning idea to expose and to examine and quite frankly to mock and ridicule uh, before the end of this program so stick around for that 552 news talk 1130 wisn final segment of this edition of the Friday afternoon show, Jerry Bott here. I'll be your pilot today. We're going to land this plane. Um, if females with intact, complete female plumbing can ride the wave of gender fluidity and claim to be boys and men, then, of course, the scope of where feminine hygiene projects are available, the scope of that needs to expand. Can't just be in the women's bathrooms anymore, right? Not if, if people with female plumbing can claim to be a guy and use the, the men's bathroom. The geniuses in the Oregon legislature, along with their woke allies in the Oregon educational establishment, are grabbing this problem by the... Bu- well, 
by the by the cojones, assuming that some involved in this policy actually have physical cojones. I read to you this from Fox News. Listen closely. Oregon public schools will be required to provide feminine hygiene products along with instructions how to use those products in all K-12 through bathrooms regardless of gender in accordance with the state's Menstrual Dignity Act signed into law last year. The controversial mandate, solidified by Democratic Governor Kate Brown, was set to go into full effect during the 2022-23 school year. A 2021 statement from Portland Public Schools detailed how the act would be implemented long-term. Quoting from the directive from the Portland Public Schools. Starting next year, products will be available in all restrooms, male, female, and all gender, in every PPS building where education occurs. To ensure Timely compliance, PPS ordered 500 dispensers. Dispensers have been installed in all elementary and middle school girls' restrooms, and more will be installed in all remaining bathrooms, including boys' restrooms, next year. Instructions on how to use the tampons and pads will be posted in all bathrooms. Including boys. Oh, yes, Paul. Including boys. All bathrooms. What what does all mean to you? All, All is all. The statement also, this is a statement from the Portland Public Schools. The statement also stressed the need for students to learn about growth and development and noted that some physical education courses are implementing lessons on the four pillars of menstrual dignity and encourage parents to have similar discussions with their children to help reduce the shame and stigma surrounding menstruation. Let me interject. When when has a, a, a woman menstruating been stigmatized? Oh, well, you, are, are you menstruating right now? Get away from me. I mean, come on. This is stupid. Let me go back to the article. It gets better. The Oregon Department of Education also doubled down on the controversial content by, by issuing a, quote, menstrual dignity for students toolkit in March, complete with instructions on how to use menstrual products, segments on faculty and staff training, classroom instruction, and tips for menstruation positive language for families. <laughs> that's a that's a good that's a good dinner table conversation. Let's have some some menstruation positive conversations here over our, our meatloaf. <laughs> Paul's asking how do women get by all these years without this? Well, of course they got by just fine, and they could without this in Oregon. The, the, the women of Oregon still get along just fine. But let me let me go back to the article. A couple of, a couple more kickers here before the the end of the article. The toolkit issued by the Portland Public Schools also emphasized the need for menstrual products in all bathrooms because lack of access disproportionately impacts students of color, students experiencing disabilities, and students experiencing poverty. So if if you are you know Hispanic in a wheelchair and you, you don't have lunch money, this this uh, this menstrual dignity thing is really coming down heavy on you. <laughs> And then it wraps up. Now listen to this word salad. You want to hear a word salad? This this is if there was an Academy Award for word salad, this one would get a nomination. This is again from these Portland Public Schools instruction on menstrual dignity. Importantly, it says the Menstrual Dignity Act affirms the right to menstrual dignity for transgender 
intersex, non-binary, and two-spirit students by addressing the challenges that some students have managing menstruation while minimizing negative attention that could put them at risk of harm and navigating experiences of gender dysphoria during menstruation. Huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'd read it again, but there's no point because I read it like five times and I still don't know what it means. Well, a few things. Now, according to every woman who has ever been part of my life, menstruation can run the full gamut from a painful burden to a moderate inconvenience, in some cases to some, a relief, right? But not one of those women in my life, and there's been many, not one of those women ever expressed to me any expectation that menstruation be dignified. But that begs a bigger question. Is it now the expectation that all bodily functions be dignified? Must accommodations be made so that I might urinate with my head held high? What about the people plagued with undue, uncontrollable flatulence? Where is their dignity? And finally... What's the real-life outcome of putting tampons within the reach of middle school-aged and high school-aged boys? The best-case scenario, this is the best-case scenario, is that these tampons are put in a sink full of water, soaked like crazy, and wet tampon fights are occurring in boys' bathrooms across the entire Portland public school system. There's going to be wet tampons stuck to every wall of every boys' bathroom. Because they're, 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 that's right, boys are boys are going to be throwing these things at each other. That's that's the best case scenario. The best case scenario, the best thing they can hope for is the wet tampon fight. The worst case will be attempts at involuntary rectal insertion. You think that's beyond boys to hold down some other boy and, 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 see, and see where a tampon can go? I think not. I think not. Timmy's being bullied. They're trying to shove a tampon up his butt. Gonna happen. Was that a good topper for the show? I think it was all right. Oh, I didn't do any Kentucky Derby. Okay, real quickly. I think I said I think the most talented horse probably won't win the race. When I bet tomorrow, I'm going to bet something on him. And I don't like the two favorites much, uh, the morning line favorites. Um, there's There's a horse called Taba who, who uh, was trained by the cheater, Bob Baffert. And Bob Baffert um, also trained another horse called Messier. Both of them ran in the Santa Adina Derby. Um, cheater Bob Baffert transferred the training of these horses to one of his ex-assistants. Um, but um, Taba made just a brilliant, I mean, powerful move during the stretch of the um, Santa Anita Derby, which is running a mile and an eighth. It's, a, it's um, an eighth of a mile shorter than the Derby. And ran by Messier, who is considered to be one of the best horses, three years in the world. Now, the knock on Tabia is that Tabia has only run in two races in its life. Did not run as a two-year-old. Has run two races this year. One of them being the brilliant performance in the Santa Anita Derby. Now, 
I think that's the most talented horse of the 20 horses that are in the field for the Kentucky Derby. But putting a horse out there that's only run twice into a field of, of with 19 other horses, that's a lot to ask to navigate all that traffic and stuff like that. I think by the end of this year, we're going to find out that Taba is the most talented three-year-old horse in America and maybe one of the most talented ones in the world, but may not win tomorrow. The other horse that I mentioned, Messier, is a little bit more experienced and a, has never gone off at odds of greater than six to five in its six race, six races or three. I can't remember how many races it's run or maybe it's four. Anyway, my point is this horse is always considered to be one of the best horses of his, of this current crop. And he's going to go off tomorrow. Seven to one, eight to one, maybe. I mean, there's some real value there, especially if you're betting stuff like, you know, exactas and trifectas and that sort of thing. So those are the two horses I'm looking at quite closely. Um, like I say, Taba might be the most talented horse. It might be tough for him to win. Messier, I think, has got front-running speed and can, can kind of dictate his own trip around that track and maybe a pretty good bet at some, uh, some decent odds for a horse that talented. If you're looking for Mark Belling's picks, go to Belling.com right now or anytime between now and the, and the race. He now, he's got every horse handicapped. He's got his suggested wagers. Uh, his, his projected order of finish, and even some information on where to go or how to, to lay down a bet on tomorrow's Kentucky Derby. Okay, that'll do it. 609, News Talk 1130, WISN. Have a great weekend, everybody. News next, and then Sean Hannity. Stick around.